You are listening to The Condo Comrades, the former number one podcast about Netflix's show tidying up with Marie Kondo, and also about all other activities in the wide-ranging Kondoverse. You might know me from the pages of Tiny Cartridge and Lifehacker, or you might know me as the Planner God, the Skincare Spender, soon to be sponsored by Darn Tough Vermont Socks, and along with all those accolades, I'm also your host, Eric Kaoli. I'm here with Mr. Yikes himself. Kenneth Deacons, the book burner, Kenny Kondo. Say hi, Kenny. Hey. <laughs> I said say hi. Not hey. <laughs> I heard that and I, re- I refused. I'm a... <laughs> I, knew, I knew you would do something to spite me. Like I can't get, we can't get through five minutes. We can't get through 30 seconds without you doing something without, I can't take you anywhere. It's, it's true. And by take anywhere, you mean call me up on a, on a group chat. Mm-hmm. When are well, you taking me anywhere? Let's see. Did I take you anywhere when I when I was up there, or last time we've hung out for anything related? I don't. I don't think so. I took you to, to the next game and dinner multiple times. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> and you, you you took me for bagels and coffee, and um, well, that's the thing. I can't take you anywhere, so you have to take me places. That is the arrangement that we've come to. It's true. It's true. <laughs> It's really, it's really my fault, I guess. I'm not sure how <laughs> we got here. <laughs> All right. First on the docket, apologies. Apologies for um, our whole lives and uh, our, our podcast. Last episode, we spent an inordinate amount of time bragging about our vacuums. It's, which um, It's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I think I only realized halfway into it, like, wow, we need to get out of discussing our vacuums as fast as possible. And then like, I was panicking more and more as we talked more and more about it. And now we stretched it out into a second episode. Listen, all, all our fan mail is telling me how about how great my vacuum story was and about how they're mad at you for, for your, Mm -hmm. your bogus vacuum talk. Okay. Recap us on why we need to apologize. I, I still, as I said in the last episode, you need to apologize for your dumbass PS3 comment where you're just like, yo, it's, I'm so glad I don't have kids so I can buy stupid stuff like vacuums instead of smart things like a PS3. And I was just like, I couldn't even. Um, yeah, I think that was a very scatterbrain moment of mine. Uh, <laughs> I think as you cleared up to me later on, it is. It would be a smart purchase for parents to have a vacuum. Kids, kids are fucking messy, man. And they don't. Kids don't need a PS3. <laughs> You're right, and I, I did not need a PS3 either. I'm just gonna Although, lie to my kids and pretend it's still like the 1990s and give them a PS1. <laughs> <laughs> or, or when they say they want to play a game, you want to play a game? How about how about vacuum the living room? Yeah, yeah vac- vacuum vacuum the living room. Great game. <laughs> Telling your, tell your six-year-old to uh, to carry around this 15-pound canister vacuum and lug it around different rooms cleaning your house. I'll put like a little I'll put like a little unicorn horn on the on the vacuum and be like, oh, it's it's your it's your pet. It's like a final it's like a Final Fantasy game, but you gotta summon the vacuum and eat all eat all the dust bunnies and you'll get points and level up and stuff and that's. That's some great parenting tips right there. <laughs> great parenting tips. P- great parenting tips from um, 
two two guys who have no intention of having children. <laughs> well, well, all right, but one guy, you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so two guys who don't don't have children yet. My bad, my bad. I I should I should commit you to that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the, the the next apology. Um also um I wanted to I guess this isn't actually an apology. This is more a regret of mine that I've kind of made us stuck with these these episode titles that we have. Uh so far burn your books, burn your socks, burn your board games. And so we didn't get to call the last episode a uh, weird vacuum flex, but okay. Just so we could be more self-aware about how um, we just drop like, oh yeah, by the way, I just have a super expensive vacuum, you know. Just, I mean, we should have just called just it people things. Burn Your Weird Vacuum Flex. That's a bit convoluted. No one's going to listen to that. It doesn't have the, it's not as provocative as Burn Your Racism. Yeah, that's that's really the key is I I, I want to start some controversy, get, get, get some fires burning, get, get some people talking. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I just want more than three people to download this this podcast. But uh, if it has to be controversy, so be it. We do we do what we have to do. We we work with what we're given, and and that that's a complete and utter lack of shame. <laughs> Maybe we'll um we'll worry more about angering people and being too too provocative once we have our sponsors. Yeah, which um, we've we've been, I, I we talk about it. I don't think we do any work to actually attract them. So apologies to our listeners who um, are ex- have expected us to um, to actually be upping our production values from making from making all that sponsorship money, and we haven't gotten there yet. It's I mean, and I, I would say that. Our listeners, if you're listening and you work for for the sock company or any of the other people we beg to sponsor us, please please email us at scoot. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was the old one at condo comrades at gmail.com with with your your offer. Yeah, you know you've just committed yourself to having to go create that. Oh, it's created. Oh, for real? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> Also, um, if anyone out there works at um, Spotify or Gimlet, holler at us. Yeah, and uh, and tell us why you would never, ever, ever uh, dedicate any money toward us becoming part of your network. Yo, Gimlet got fucking paid. That's some bullshit. Did you? Did they say numbers? It's two hundred million. What? Did you know that I was I was looking at the numbers on this right now. All the money made uh-huh. by all the podcasts per year is three hundred million. Wow, two hundred. Oh man, Carly Klein must be feeling sick. <laughs> oh man, she's like seeing she's like seeing this news and she's seeing those numbers. Oh man, your stomach's gotta hurt after that. Yeah. Shout out to Carly Klein. Isn't it is Starly Klein? Starly Klein. Yeah. Shout out to Starly Klein. Uh, apologies. I'm, I'm glad we're still in this section of the podcast. Apologies to her for um, not respecting the name and the work. Mr. Mystery Mystery Show was one of the goats of podcasting. For real. Yeah, they do good stuff. They could do good stuff with us. We could do good stuff with them. Yeah, start start the client. Come on the show. <laughs> um Yeah, I wanted to uh to big up also this uh this Vox article that came out this week. Um covering the 
KonMari consultancy network that has emerged. Oh yeah, by the way, for people who don't know, if this is the first time you're listening, this is a Mare Kondo podcast. <laughs> and uh, we, we talk about content relating to the, the organizing goddess. Um, but yeah, there was an article put out called um, Mare Kondo is training an army of tidying consultants. Uh, she's been doing this for a while. I don't, I don't know if you knew, but she has this business where uh, a bunch of people like get on these seminars to like learn about her method and like um, just like go into to a deeper uh, deeper than what you see in the show and the read in her books and just learn more about how they could apply her organization techniques for for their clients and do it all under like a Conmary banner like they would be listed on this consultancy website as official organizers and stuff. Did you know about this? Kate? Yeah, I had heard about it a bit. And I know that I think she had, she had written her book originally because she, you know, had a tidying business and then like she kept on giving people advice on how to do it. And it was becoming overwhelming. And I think it was an, the book was actually an extension of her sort of original, like, Hey, this is how you do it network and how to, how to tidy people. Cause her backlog of like people who wanted her to help was too big. Yeah, and so this has been going on for a while, I know. They they already have uh, over 225 consultants. But it was this article is really interesting. You should go on and find it in Vox. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh that um it, it just provided some background info and just just around around this network and I I found it really interesting. You should and I think something that's really cool about it is it's not like a multi-level marketing deal where uh, she takes a cut out of all her her um, people in the network's work. Like you pay upfront to go to the seminars and stuff and to um, have, have your, your name listed in their directory. Like there's like a, a flat fee for that, but it's like the, the people who are working in this network are not, like funneling money. She's like, she's not siphoning money from all these people. Yeah. It's more like a licensing fee. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's not like a scam, which is, I thought really cool because a lot of people who get into these sort of self-improvement and even organization decluttering um, consultancy businesses, it, it does work like that. And so it's really cool that one of the biggest ones and happens to be the one that we're covering does not. Shoutouts to um to uh Mari Kondo for operating this in this way. Um that that also brings me to the next thing that I discovered in the Vox article. They they mentioned there is another um Mari Kondo podcast called Spark Joy, not actually hosted by her. It's by two consultants and I think you can just find it by searching for Spark Joy uh podcast and that's why I had to say we were we were the the former number one <laughs> podcast around, around this uh, the Condoverse because I looked at, looked them up and they had sixty episodes or something like that and it seemed that they were much more produced and they had a, a they had actually focused episodes and they seemed to be hosted by two people who knew what they were talking about and were not just bullshitting about vacuums. Yeah, I mean, you're not having a disagreement on this. I think I think we should put them on blast. 
because we got to be number one still. And I, I don't know a way to get number one except by putting whoever is currently number one on blast to, to expand my own brand. And it's, you know, because our product is never going to be as good as theirs. It's never going to be as useful as theirs. But we can, we can, the one thing we got is we can probably be more shameless. I think what our, our listeners are learning from this is <laughs> that um, we've, we've definitely been hurt in the past. <laughs> Something <laughs> happened. I don't know why we are the way we are, but um, we're God's working on all of us. So, <laughs> um, so something else I learned that uh, again discussed in the Vox article that I think in the last episode you we had made comments that the about you you were you were blasting um, Mar- blasting Margie, the shitty kids yeah blasting Margie's kids for not helping. Uh, during the periods when Marie was would leave them to do all the tidying, but it turns out that the show was actually super edited, and what you didn't see is other consultants coming in and helping the people that are on the tidying up program uh, do all their their decluttering when uh, when they were without Ms. Kondo's help. So that was that was nice to learn that she just didn't. 23 skidoo it out of there and leave them to do to do all the work i don't know if that is nice to learn i'm i feel i feel i feel like this show's a little bit less powerful if like yeah you know it's a little bit less accessible if you need these consultants to help while it is important to on to recognize the work the consultants do do it's um i think yeah i think there still is a level at which you know her tidying regime is like pretty accessible but i think it is important to recognize it's hard and takes a lot of work and that um that it, you shouldn't be afraid of that and you shouldn't be afraid of the fact that it takes a lot of work and you shouldn't be afraid of getting help yeah that's important that's that's true i hadn't thought about that i think it's still a pretty approachable method for tidying and i, th- I think also <laughs> it just gives them um for, for the actual show for for netflix and their producers it it made them worry a bit less that this would all actually get done. <laughs> I think they needed to guarantee that this all got, got done in a timely manner and in a way that could be presented on TV. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. So your t- your your tidying journey might not be the same as what they see on TV. So if if it's not, don't be upset by that because it's it's a different journey. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's true that. Um... Even if they are getting help, it still is a pretty pretty accessible method and a pretty accessible way um, of of going about doing things. And one more thing, so we love to drag um, Ms. Kondo's haters, and I, I learned about a new one—a whole team, a whole organization of haters that have been operating for a couple of years now, just making snide remarks. The National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals or NAPO apparently have been, um, as the New York Times said, fairly unified in their disdain for this Japanese interloper in, in her pushing into this Western organization's business, pretty much. My first and, reaction to this, and mm-hmm. it continues to be like my first reaction, is shouldn't it be NAPOP? Like, organizing professionals, that's a, that's a P at the end. Uh-huh. I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't get it either. It's are they trying to pretend that organizing professionals is a single word? I don't know. I, I, I this organization sounds clown clown town from 
from the very start. So here, here's what uh, the New York Times quote. They have waged a war through their fuming blog posts and their generally disgusted conversations, saying that she is a product only of good marketing and that she's not doing anything different from what they've been doing since she was in diapers. And just to be clear, this was a couple years ago be, before her book really blew up here. I mean, it was starting to come here and be well before her program really blew up and she got she became famous in the past couple of months. So basically they were just hating her, hating on her before her glow up. And now she's everywhere and nobody has ever heard of Napo or Napop, so they can fuck off. Yeah, I, I would also say that just like it feels to me like this could have been a great opportunity for them to like, hey, like a bunch of people are interested in this. Like let's you know, we can we can help out too. Like I think I think, you know, she she not just has her own method of tidying, but also created a lot of interest in tidying and organizing. And so it, it should be possible for like more you know, she's she's growing the total tidying pie. So they, they should not be hating on that. And so we should take inspiration from her because we're talking about creating beef to <laughs> to up our visibility and she never felt the need to attack Napo in her rise and look at her now. You you make a compelling point. On the other hand, it's all I know how to do. So <laughs> anyway, let 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 it be known that we are uh, Maria Kondo's enforcers and if you come at her we will put you on blast on this podcast and um, we'll be waiting outside school at 3 p.m. <laughs> ready, ready to with with, uh, with the baseball bats. Ready to ready to rumble. <laughs> like it's West Side Story. So that that actually is a great transition into we were already well into the Mario Kondo Player Haters Club, but we're gonna go even deeper. By the way, I hate that just <laughs> i really resisted this name for this segment but i've won I, I feel i feel like you pushed it on me every episode mm-hmm. and so it's just stuck and now we're stuck with it i'm 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 living my best life right now <laughs> uh so our uh official highlighter or official person we're highlighting for this Player Haters Club is writer researcher Barbara Ehrenreich, of um, best known for her her book Nickel and Dime. You have some more info about her because I I don't know any of her background. Yeah, yeah. You sent me this tweet and I was like, I recognize this name and I looked it up and I was like, all right, she wrote Nickel and Dimes, which is sort of um, it was like early two thousands and it was a book about her living on minimum wage for like two or three months, I think it was. Um, in her experience, you know, just like how fucking awful it was and, you know, how stressful and about, you know, as the, as the book says, nickel and dimes, you know, when you're poor and you're living on a minimum wage job, everything, everything is just more expensive when you're poor um, because, you know, you, you have to, it just works that way because it's sort of, you can't, you can't afford to buy things or spend money in a way for long-term planning. You just have to get by. And that makes everything way more expensive and just how fucking awful America is for, for poor people. And so I, I looked this up and I was just like, wow, I wasn't expecting that to be a background of one of her haters. Um, but yeah, so so I, I think you wanted to, since you were the one who sent it to me and you're sort of the master of the player haters club, 
Um, I'll, I'll <laughs> let you read the actual tweets. Okay, yeah. So these were all from Barbara. Actually, so this first one from Barbara, she put up and then deleted shortly after getting ratioed with lots of hate. I will be convinced that America is not in decline when our decluttering guru, Mare Kondo, learns to speak English. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into our comments after, after this. So that was the first one she deleted, and then she followed up with um, her own apology segment. I confess, I hate Mare Kondo because, aesthetically speaking, I'm on the side of clutter. As for her language, it's okay with me that she doesn't speak English to her huge American audience, but it does suggest that America is in decline as a superpower. And then her, her follow-up. Sorry to anyone offended by my tweet about Maria Kondo. Sometimes my attempts at subtle humor just don't work. Okay, first off, Barbara, this is a Wendy's. You you have a... You, I'm giving you... I'm throwing the rock to you to dunk on her. Kenny. Yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a lot happening here. Yeah. The, this apology is terrible, first off. Just like all apologies, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I made a lot of apologies, and sometimes we're joking in our apologies, and sometimes we're—I mean, we're always somewhat sincere. But um, I, I would say that like the most important thing in apologies is not to make excuses and explain why. Oh, actually, it's okay, <laughs> but you know, because it the the way to, number one way to apologize poorly is to try and make it about you and people forgiving you. And the way to apologize correctly is to make it about the people you hurt. And this is a classic case of, sorry, you know, she's like, sometimes my attempts at some humor just don't work. And it's sort of like, oh, but I, I wasn't really doing something wrong. And it's just like, I'm re- all you have to say is, hey, I was wrong and I'm sorry to everyone about that. That's, that's it. That's, that's the correct apology. I mean, and second off, just like, I don't know. I don't even. Wait, give me, give me well, some more. Let's, let's get into let's let's get into this argument that she should be speaking English. Yeah. Which I don't know, Barbara. Fuck off. She doesn't <laughs> need to. She's she's just fine with Ida coming in and uh, and translating everything. Yeah, it is. It's just like I don't know. It comes to what we were talking about yesterday with the last episode with racism, or just sort of like, um, you know, like we we should be able to people should be able to listen to people who don't speak the same language as them, you know, because people with smart ideas and, and great ideas come from a lot of different backgrounds. And part of that is that like, not everyone's going to speak English and that's okay. What a weird connection to make just watching, watching her, her show and then throwing your arms up in the air. Like, Oh, America's declining as a superpower. Yeah. It's, it, and it's like that, the like, that it, 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 it speaks it, to like, a secret feeling she's had about anybody speaking a different language with high visibility. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, it's super racist and it's, it's just like, also just like, I thought, you know, like I had forgotten who she was and I looked at it and I was like, wow, this must be some like right wing pundit, you know, who's like upset that everyone isn't respecting America's dominance, but it's someone who's supposed to be nominally like left wing and it's supposed to be talking about how like, you know, America is mistreating like the poor and other people around the world. Yet she's still just like, I, I I was like so confused by like why you know just like I know I immediately went gave this tweet to you because I was like isn't this Kenny's people these uh these people who write about the uh economist matters yeah yeah I was just like the fuck um and it's also just like you know she's like talking about 
the decline of America as a superpower at like the same time where like Trump just put Elliot Abrams in charge of you know Venezuela you know Elliot Abrams is a guy who was like Reagan's guy in the 80s who was just like arming right-wing death squads that were like murdering nuns and children in South America and he's putting putting this guy in charge of like basically trying to overthrow you know the democratically elected government of Venezuela and is just like you know, obviously going to start like trying to ship arms and like ca- basically cause a civil war in a, in a country in South America. And we're talking about how like the American emperor empire is in decline. Cause you know, this person on a show doesn't speak English and it's just like the, the, all the worst parts and you know, like the violence of the American empire are just like happening right now, you know, and there's like this very week and you're talking about, you know, that the Marie Kondo doesn't speak english and i was just like what the fuck (laughs) and you know it's not it's not as if there's not a lot of uh content out there uh programs and shows that are not in english like why pick this one yeah exactly like why wait and why why wait until this this japanese woman speaks up to like oh i gotta knock her down a peg or her fans down a peg. yeah i think it's like totally what we're talking about just like uh, you know, people can people can watch shows from in other languages, but the idea of getting advice or listening to someone who who doesn't speak English is just terrifying. It's just like ah, like only 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 white people who speak English should be are people we should listen to. And it's not a good look. Yeah, it really isn't. It was like <laughs> it was like maybe you're trying I, to I, undermine I think... American Empire, but it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> Maybe just don't go on social media trying to police what language people speak at all. Like, don't give any indication of it. Don't like people who are, like, don't like the tweets. <laughs> Maybe you don't need to be involved in any of that uh, discussion. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess in conclusion, Barbara, grow up. Grow up, Barbara. Do better. Make a better apologize. And, I don't know. Don't. Just never do this again. Maybe get off social media. Is she canceled? I wish, was she ever happening? I don't know. Um, You you know her yeah, better. Yeah, she, she just wrote a book about um, being old and dying and just sort of end-of-life care um, that some people said it was pretty good. I I didn't read it. I was less interested in that than like nickel and dimes. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, you, you can, you can have some dumb ideas and have smart ideas in other places, but you should not. <laughs> this was, this was real bad. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make moves on social media that make me reconsider all your previous works and the merits that they once stood on. Okay, let's get off. Let's get off uh, talking about Barbara. By the way, did you ever see the? Okay, so we're not going to completely get off. Did you ever see that Flight of the Concords episode, or did you watch that show? I've just seen HBO? a couple episodes. Did you see when? Um, I think they both fell in love with a woman named Barbara. I didn't. Okay, well, there was I think a woman named Bra Bra, or they thought it was Barbara. Okay, because they did not think that Barbara could be a real. <laughs> name and it, it, it turned out to be her actual That's name kind of funny. and the people who thought or the the person who was trying to win her over 
who thought that her name was Barbara was soundly rejected. You can you can edit that out. I don't know what that <laughs> adds to to the podcast or to anybody's life. It's definitely one of those things where why are you telling me the story that adds no value I'm, to my life? I'm a huge believer <laughs> in in bad stories that are like not meaningful but, except to any except to the person telling them. You you know me. I don't want any of it, which is it's ironic because that's all mm-hmm. I produce on, on these podcasts. Well, let's talk about the actual episode, episode five of Tidying Up, From Students to Improvements. This one was, a, I thought, a really good one with the, the couple, Matthew and Frank, that, uh, that needed help tidying their home. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, was, I was a big fan of this episode. It was, um, I, I would say it was a kind of like normal-ish episode, um, but it was just, a re- they were really both really nice. I was a big fan of both of them, and it was a... It was a really it was a really positive sweet episode with some 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 good bits in it that i really enjoyed and was really uplifting yeah quick background it's about uh these two guys live together and they are i th- i think they're they felt their home had a really college dormy feel to it and it was actually very clean and it seemed to be very tidied but i think everything was stuffed into closets again and they they did have a bit a bit too much sentimental items and books and DVDs and yeah it was it was a classic case where like a lot that. of the mess was just like lurking there you know they shoved everything away but it was it was still there and present on their minds um, yeah and they definitely also mentioned having a lot of stuff still from college and high school that they're not sure why they yeah. still kept but they held on to. Mm. Yeah, and uh, one one big thing for me is they finally really went into books this episode, which I appreciated. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, because we've blasted some people who we were like they do, they must not yeah. have any books, so that's why they didn't talk about books. But yeah, this was I guess it was very appropriate for these two because they were both writers. Um, I don't know if you you picked this up. One of them mentioned that they had a lot of from from their childhood Power Rangers fan fiction. Yeah, I love that part. I was, that was a that was a definite highlight. That was um Frank, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even gonna hate on that. I think that's awesome <laughs> that that he loved it, loved Power Power Rangers of all things to uh, to make fan fiction around. Which, by the way, I, I I'm pretty sure that Power Rangers in Japan is very different from Power Rangers here. Yeah, I've noticed. heard I've heard that. Yeah, where all the fight scenes are from a Japanese TV show, but the actual scenes of the characters outside of their costumes were shot here and combined for American audiences. What a great, what a great thing that happens. <laughs> okay, the, the actual episode. Uh, what did you want to talk about? Um, so, so first off, I think I, I like really related to Matt more than I think like anyone else I've seen on the show. Um, you know, because he was like really struggling with clothes because he's just like you know i only have like a couple things that really spark joy and you know most of the stuff is just like stuff i wear and he's like but i know i need to get rid of more stuff but i don't know how to sort of like distinguish between some of this stuff and that's sort of how i feel about a lot of my clothes is i have a couple things that i like and spark joy and then like a lot of stuff that's like okay i that are just like this is fine and i wear it and it's it's fine 
and then but then when they moved on to books he was just like and he, he he was like really struggling with it he's like i feel like i'm really bad at this and i don't know what i'm doing and i'm so used to like you know in school everything came quick and then i he's just like i'm struggling i don't i feel like stupid almost um and then when they moved on to books he was like oh yeah this is like I, I know exactly how I feel and I have all these deep feelings about these books and these strong relationships. And that's how I feel about a lot of my, my own stuff is that, you know, I, I do have a lot of very strong relationships to a lot of books and, and you know, they, they spark a lot more emotions in me than my clothing or any of the other subjects really do. Um, and, he, and he seems, so I, I related a lot to his experience with this. That, that's interesting that that was your takeaway. Cause the the part that actually stuck out to me was the amount of shame that they seem to have about their home being cluttered. Um, I think that was more on Frank's side too, because I think he was the one who felt pressured because his parents hadn't visited his house yet. And they were going to be coming at the end of their, their efforts and at the end of the, the episode. And he just seemed to have a lot of guilt and I, I picked out picked out some good quotes from there. He said, uh, "Our home is a reflection of our relationship. If our home isn't in harmony, they might say that this is temporary." His that being his relationship with Matt, and if they take our home seriously, they will take this relationship seriously. Which is it was just a really weird. Like I I totally see why he felt that way, and that's it's really easy to slip into that sort of thinking. But then when you say it out loud to have someone else hear it and they reassure you, like that is not a connection that is healthy to make. You don't realize it. But I, I definitely get that sense that he had that guilt about the clutter in their home. Yeah, and it, it seemed a little bit of um, his own insecurity about his, 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 the fact that he was gay um, and just sort of, I think, I think he felt that like, you know, in some senses because he was gay and in a gay relationship. Um, it was more illegitimate then. Um, and then, and I, I, there was a little bit of that coming out. It seemed like, um, and I, he was like, you know, my family's really supportive of me being gay, but still I feel like, um, you know, still, still having a hard time with it. Um, yeah, he did. He did say he was growing up. Um, I, I don't know if this was related, like this was more about, how he 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 was always kind of a, a had a cluttered room in in college and when he he lived at home and he said he felt actively judged by his parents and this this was really really uh, heartbreaking here when he was like I haven't always made them proud and so you you got the sense that he really wanted to make them proud of him and that he was working toward that and he felt that this was something he needed to do to make them feel yeah proud. and there, there there was one moment where he was he's like you know he was like listing the things he, he didn't do to make them proud and it was like i didn't go to med school and i was like mm-hmm. you know you seem you seem super successful and like you know it seemed like they were both pretty successful tv writers and it was it was it you know it was like i think it was just frank who was the tv writer oh, i thought it was both of no, them no, okay not, not matt Were, weren't they both writers they were both writers, but Frank was the, the okay. TV writer. Yeah, and it, it was it was def- I definitely think there was a lot of shame in them, you know, sort of. Yeah, some something else he said that stuck me out. He said, uh, um, while he's trying to get rid of sentimental things, he felt that 
having ties to childhood make you feel less of an make you feel like less of an adult and so he felt that holding on to a lot of things just uh he didn't he he felt like his parents wouldn't view him as an adult if he held yeah, on to yeah I, I remember that and I, that that felt kind of kind of sad to me cuz i think you know i think it's important to hold on to aspects of your childhood and i think you know yeah well here here's the thing i can see a lot of people taking offense real like serious offense to that quote and then taking out their offense on the entire method thinking that that's what this is about when it's it's not and i think that's just an issue he had with himself and how he viewed things yeah and I, and i think i can understand that a bit but um you know i you know i think i think one of the main ways i relate to my child is is through books um you know, i remember when i went home mm-hmm. and was going through my books i had a lot of memories about how oh, i remember reading this and all that um and so but yeah it was it was, it was there was definitely a lot of shame there and it was it was it was hard to see at times something that uh so i guess the the common criticism that people have thrown at the method is that maria kano wants you to get rid of all your books and only keep the books that spark emotional joy which is which is the the willing full misreading or misinterpretation of what what she says and even in this episode her her words is she said keep the books that you feel will be fen- beneficial to your life going forward yeah she talked and she that, talked about them being like a reflection of your values and what and, and what you thought mm-hmm. was important which i thought was pretty powerful yeah so that's not saying only keep the books that make you really happy or make you smile when you see them like keep whatever you feel adds to your life if there's something that's like I don't know. Like, like you're you're never going to return to it. You never think about it unless you're looking at your bookshelf and your immediate thought is, "I still have this." Like, there's no reason to hold on to those. It's not it's not adding anything to your life now or when when you come back to it. Yeah. So throw it in throw the fire it right up. That's you know there was there's that great scene of the bonfire, <laughs> and you know. All, all dancing around <laughs> and throwing all the books in Marie Kondo going it's it's you or the book but but in Japanese because she refused to speak English and and they all responded she's she's burning Barbara's book <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's no she's going into homes um taking Barbara's book and then replacing it with yeah. her own book <laughs> I, I love that version of uh of uh, Ms. Kondo, even though she'd never do that. We'd be the ones to yeah. do that for her, being her enforcers. It's true. <laughs> what else stood out for you with this They episode? had 26 mugs. Oh, really? You <laughs> Did yeah, they actually they say that, that out loud? And I, th- I think Matt was like, so 13 for each of us. That sounds about right. <laughs> wow. Um, but I think that's a very, you know, as, as I was talking about, it's very easy to do because mugs are nice. I like, you know, mug, mugs, uh-huh. but it's really easy to get too many of them. It's very easy to accumulate. And especially because they usually represent something like, Oh, I went to this place once or, Oh, I really like this thing that this image is emblazoned on it. So throwing it away, throws away that part of me. They, they, they were, they were, they're a great way of capture, you know, 
it's a classic like vacation thing. It's like I'm gonna get this this thing and it will last and I'll remember my time here. But cannot can also like you can get too much of that and then all of a sudden it's a pain to open them and then you don't see them anyway because there's a bunch of them jammed back in there. Yeah, I was just considering that earlier today because I was looking at our collection of mugs and then I was I was thinking we never use our mugs back there and then I looked back there in the back of our cupboard and there were a lot of mugs that I really liked. <laughs> and so now I'm just thinking I need to use these more. I think that goes into the importance of tidying is that you know stuff can feel important but you got to remember that if you're if you're if your stuff is so cluttered that you aren't using stuff or don't remember it or it's there it's it's not even any different than it being thrown away. Uh, that's true. Yeah, it's not fulfilling its purpose. Of right, sparking and joy. so that that is a key part of tidy, of tidying and and then the and the comedy process is that you're trying to okay, I have I have so much stuff that you know sort of I need to figure out what's important so I can really make sure I I see that. And I think I think he one of the, one of them even mentioned it. Um, at, at some point was that you know he's like we have stuff in our closets that i don't even know what it is and i haven't seen it in a while <laughs> oh yeah i loved when they brought out their their clothes and they're trying to to go through which which items spark joy and the guy picked up this shirt and he's like oh this is this is the first thing that he thought of that sparks joy and it was a a t-shirt with two koalas and it said quality time with, with the k that was great <laughs> that, that sparked joy in me also the, the part where they open up the closet and uh, Maria Kondo sees how, how deep it is and she just like goes goes back there in like search of Narnia <laughs> yeah, more and more um, button up shirts <laughs> that were back there <laughs> by the way something else I noticed um Besides the fact that they had some very colorful shirts, which I appreciated, and we've talked about how guys need to be more secure about wearing shirts with color and not just black and gray. Right? We talked about that last Yeah, episode. we did. Because um, you hate color. I, I, I do, but I also think that like a lot of people have a lot of baggage about it. Yeah, along with their shirts being really colorful... Uh, just, just this this reminded me because they were wearing their untucked button ups and that was very much their uh their their style throughout this episode but i went to the mall recently in, near here and i saw a shirt called untucked or untuck it uh, do you know anything about this yeah claire claire gets so mad about this <laughs> oh yeah i'm glad because i was i saw this it's a a store dedicated to button-up shirts that you can wear untucked. This this is what men's fashion is. It's just like <laughs> this is what it's come to. Um, shirts without color. You you need to you, you need to go to a special store. Although I can get if you want to go for that <laughs> that untucked shirt look. <laughs> you, you don't know how to pull it off, so you go to a special store just to. Uh, have shirts that you can wear untucked. It's, it's just like um, the the like the like preposterously low standards of of men's fashion. Yeah, I looked it up, and so the gimmick is that they just have a shorter hem, and so they look a bit more proportioned. Like, because if you wear it untucked and it's too long and it's like midway down your thigh, you 
it fucks up your proportions. Wow, wowie. <laughs> so I, I feel like I feel like uh, like street fashion is a lot more exciting right now, but like men men's formal fashion is like mostly a disaster. In, instead of spending your money at Untucked, go uh, go buy yourself some vests and some colorful gradient shirts. It's true. I just realized that the way you get excited talking about um, cri- criticizing America as a superpower. And, <laughs> and, and and getting on your socialist bag is is the same energy that I have for vests. <laughs> we were going to talk about books that spark joy with us, by the way, because this was a book focus episode. And um, Kenny, I knew I knew you had some pretentious picks that you wanted to share <laughs> of books that books that preach yeah that's right I, I i immediately called you out on it what do you have for okay, us okay so so first off um i asked eric how many books we could do and i was like three and he's like no only two and i was like it was gonna be hard and so i'll note that my the third book i had to cut was harry potter which is one of my all-time favorites um mm-hmm. but then i think i think the my, my number two book the spark joy and i i was sort of looking over all my books and i think Claire and I were talking about it and we're going to do a full comedy for our, our books uh, at some point this next week. And we'll maybe share how that goes on the next episode. Um, but my, my number two book is debt. The first 5,000 years by David Graeber. Um, and sort of, I read, I read this in college and it was really, really profound to me. And sort of, I go back and read it and read bits of it. And I, I think about it a lot and it's sort of a book about the history of debt. Um, and, you know, it's just debt is this really central con, con, um, concept to a lot of social relationships and how we talk about morality and sort of draws these threads throughout like human history. And it's, there's like so much, um, so much that I come back to and all these ideas. And it's, it's just constantly changing the way I think about things and sort of made me examine a lot. And it's, it's sort of, really influential on my my thinking um and it's you know because debt is just like super powerful language and like you can ask questions like what what do we owe society what does society owe us what do we owe our parents and these are like really powerful deep moral questions that sort of go to the center of society and also talks about how um you know language of debt is like central to sort of there's a lot of guilt around debt also I could go on for this for like a whole podcast, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cut myself off. <laughs> should should I break it up with one of my picks, or yeah, do you want to no, go you, your second? You one? got one of your picks. Oh. Okay, mine are mine are both gonna be uh, young adult novels that I have learned to feel no shame about proclaiming as my my faves, my joy sparkers. Um, first one I'm gonna call out is actually a series. That's right, I'm cheating, Kenny. So I mean, mine was gonna be Harry Potter the series. Mine is book seven which is awful. Yeah, it, all true. Um, so I'm going to shout out the Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner. Uh, I think there's four books now in the series, maybe five and with a six coming soon. And it's just a really great series. I think the first one won uh, the Newbery Medal, Newbery Award uh, a while back, and they just keep getting better and better. I don't know if I want to describe it. It's they're they're all kind of heist stuff, heist novels, and uh, about um, unreliable narrators and really interesting 
roguish characters. And I really enjoy them. They're they're always my go-to when recommending people stuff that they should read that I enjoy that's a fun romp. Yeah, you recommended this to me like a year or two ago. Because I had I had tried to read it as a kid. And I think got like 20 pages in and then like dropped it, which is very common thread for, for my for my childhood. And then you got me to go back and read it and I really enjoyed it. I think I read I think I read all of them. I'm not actually sure, but great, great. Yeah, they're great stuff. I'm I'm prob I probably convince two or three people every year to listen to it. And I go through read through the entire series every year. Mm-hmm. And so it's gonna it's making me sad that it's supposed to end next year summer 2020 when our last book comes out i think it's called return of the thief i'm i'm pumped yeah i'm hyped your your second pick kenny um so so my my second pick um also a book i read in college um it's called um stone butch blues um it's so so my second pick is, is stone butch blues by leslie feinberg it's an incredible book um and it's it's about their their experience sort of well it's fictional but it's it's like kind of off autobiographical so, so it's about um their experiences growing up in, in upstate new york in like the 70s as a uh, lesbian and then eventually sort of transitioned and lived part of part of their life as a man and then ended up in at the end of their life living uh, going by they and about um, their experiences with that and, and growing up, um, you know, working class, worked in a lot of factories and all the all the politics of, of that. And it's and sort of the extreme amount of violence they, they face in their life, um, um, you know, being being someone whose gender identity didn't conform and having to sort of you know, get fired from a lot of jobs, attacks um all these violence but at the same time there's this running current of sort of um socialism throughout it and about how if we organize the workers and collectively we can stop all this violence and make the world a better place and this you know despite you know there's these horrific things that happen to them and sort of all the suffering and all the violence of the world is able to sort of still believe that you know when the workers of the world unite you know, it will make the world a better place and we'll fix all of this. And it's, it's a really powerful book and I would, I recommend it to everyone. It can be, it can be very hard to read, but it's, it's worth it. Yeah. It sounds great. Oh, my, my second pick is another young adult novel by Rainbow Roel uh, called Elnorn Park. It's another one that I reread every year and it follows two outsider teens in, um, I think mid eighties and out in Nebraska. Uh, one, one of the kids is half Korean and uh, the other, she suffers some body image issues and um, she's coming from like a home where it, there's a lot of um, it's implied. There's a lot of domestic abuse and it's, it's just, it's just a, a, a very non-traditional love story. It's got like, it's told from both of their perspectives and just, I don't know. It, it It's a heartwarming joy sparking novel about their romance. And I love coming of age stories. So read it. Well, I will say I also love um, young adult novels. I tend to like the ones with magic in them. I'm a sucker for magic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Magic and Heist, my, my two favorite young adult topics. You might like uh, this, the same author, Rainbow's um, novel, Carry On, which is... So she wrote this book called Fangirl, which is about uh, a, a woman in a college, or she's just starting college, and she's low-key famous online for doing fan fiction of a Harry Potter-esque series. So she, yeah, so she's famous for doing the fan fiction, but so she wrote that novel and then she wrote a novel called Carry On, which is the actual fan fiction that was in the previous okay. novel. And so it's like, it's like gay Harry Potter and it's pretty great. It's better than Harry Potter. Some say okay. that, that sounds exactly, like I that. love, I love wizard schools. So I'll read anything with a wizard school on it. That's true. Wizard school is a very compelling theme. It really is. And I don't I don't totally know why. I mean, isn't Ender's Game pretty much wizard school in space? That's true. I mean, I f- fuck Orson Scott Card, but Yeah, yeah. I don't I I have a really hard time reconciling the fact he wrote Ender's Game, which is also a book I think about a lot and I think is really good with him being uh-huh. an absolute shitbag who has politics that seem opposed to what I see as the central mentions of Ender's Game. Um, yeah so that's why i had that's why i had the disclaimer. yeah i think i think it's a good disclaimer he's a he's definitely a shitty person so kenny what have we learned in this episode um all right i'll, I'll start off because i always drop the what have we learned as a surprise <laughs> you think we're gonna record you're like you're like oh man we got 20 minutes more of this podcast and then i cut us yeah. off and so that's always a surprise for you so i'll always start i'll make that my um my regular operation here. Uh, I, I learned that I, I, I I appreciated the reminder that you dropped. You didn't know that I need to uh, be more mindful about how I apologize because our apology section is kind of (laughs) trash. It's not, it's more jokes than actual apologies, but I should still word it in a way that's uh, more respectful, I guess. I don't know if I'll actually be able to accomplish that. Because it is a very joke segment and not meant to be taken seriously unless it is serious. And it's hard to it's hard to distinguish that sometimes. Yeah, right? it is. I think um I think I think part of it is because we're we try to make it not serious because as a way to make us feel less bad about how we've that we have to apologize. And that's definitely on us and something we need to get over. Yeah, I mean I think I think sometimes um you know, there's like various levels of seriousness about apologies, but I also actually think that just like um, normalizing apologies more and normalizing acceptance of your faults and that you can mess up and there aren't excuses for it and that you can say, I was wrong, I did something wrong, I'm sorry, and sort of move forward and do better in the future. And I, I think it's important to just like, I mean, I guess it's easy for me to say it's okay to fuck up, but it depends on what you fuck up at, obviously. But I just realized um, a great opportunity for us to scam some folks. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> you're you're trying to be very serious, and I'm I'm thinking of ways to I'm thinking of schemes for us. A spark joy consultancy for people who want to, like, we will be consultants for people who want to write apologies that spark okay. joy. I, I feel like I could actually be a pretty good apology consultant. Uh, 
I think so too. And but then that also raises the issue that we're aligning ourselves with people who've made serious wrongs and might be uh, unforgivable. That is maybe true. I but you mentioned this idea, but I was thinking we could have just a multi-level marketing scheme where you 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 pay for apologies to get the rights to write someone else's apology. I was, I think we need to simplify it. Just a, a pyramid scheme of, of apologies. Like you, <laughs> two people have to apologize to you and then two, two people each have to apologize to them. And then you get one of those apologies. And I'm not sure how you monetize this, but we can work on it. I, I actually figured out what I learned since you, you gave me more time than usual. Um, and mm-hmm. it's that in this episode, I think I watched it and took something pretty different than what you took from it. Um, uh-huh. And you know, you, you took you took a lot about the shame and the guilt present in the episode, and I like saw all of that, but didn't resonate with me a, as much. And I think I think it's really interesting how in which two people can watch like the same thing, and different things can resonate to them, and that just sort of like. Um, yeah, and it was, it was like I, but I, like, you know, as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh yeah, there was this like really powerful current of sort of shame and guilt um, throughout the episode coming coming from Frank, and it was sort of a, a the the sort of um, the shame around like disappointing your parents, and I, I guess it's like one of those things that I don't I don't know, I think my parents were like pretty good about. <laughs> not putting a lot of mm-hmm. expectations on us in some ways. And so I've never really felt like I had to do something to make them happy except not be a socialist. And I fucked that one up really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, so that explains why those were our takeaways from it. What explains Barbara's takeaway? <laughs> what did her parents make her believe of, of superpowers? that uh in america yeah that that was her immediate go-to it's so weird it's like it's like definitely racism but also just like it you sent that to me i i was like this is so awful and so racist but it 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 still doesn't even make sense to me yeah i I don't know where we go with that it's like it's it's supposed to be a joke it's like there isn't a joke there there's no joke there (laughs) fucking barbara (laughs) Thank you all for listening to our episode of um, Condo Comrades. If you get a chance, we would really appreciate it if you gave us five stars on iTunes and you left a very nice review because it really helps us. And it, we, we got to do three more of these, right? Yeah. You might as well like have people listen to it because what are we going to do after this? That's something we need to start. Well, I think about. we want to have Claire and Alexis on, and then after that. All right. Thank you all for <laughs> thank you all for listening. Um, burn your books, burn your socks, burn your board games, burn your racism. What is this? What is this going to be called? Burn your nationalism. <laughs>